Hey Lifekin, Roger here, one of the directors. I'm so glad that you're joining us, whether you've been listening to us for weeks or months or years, or you're a brand new listener. Either way, welcome. just want to remind you that God is up to a lot in this community, and there's a lot of ways that you can support what he is doing here. Um, One of those many ways is by giving, by financially supporting the mission of God at our church in our community. You can do that on our Church Center app or head on over to our website, but be sure to take that opportunity. And if you are someone who has been faithfully giving for any period of time, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for your support and for what the uh, ability that your finances give us to follow the call of God and what he wants to do here at Life Canton. So we are in uh, the back half of our annual series and our codes this year. We're calling that series Homecoming and have been unpacking two codes at a time. This week, you're actually going to hear a message from me uh, about our codes of multiply and driven by new life. So go ahead and give that a listen and I'll catch up with you in just a moment. Amen. You go ahead and have a seat. Uh, today I was back there. Sometimes I'm out in the crowd. Sometimes I'm feeling nervous, so I got to pace out my nerves, which just seems to set people off. So I go back there and I isolate a little bit. Um, and it was just so powerful hearing all of you just erupt in the chorus um, of death has no power. And as we go into our message today in our scripture, I want you to remember everything we sang about Jesus. Um, David and I didn't coordinate uh, songs on this one, but I'm going to talk a little bit, a lot of bit about the gospel today, which is what we sang about all day today. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go into our message and our scripture. Uh, my name is Roger, and I am so glad, hi, <laughs> so glad that you're here. First service, I usually, this also calls me, Josh in the front giving me encouragement. Uh, so glad that you're here. Uh, if you have been here, you know we've been in a series all about our codes, which we do every year, where you learn a little, little bit about who we are as a church. But one thing I want to remind you today is, if you are here, everyone in this room, including me, is planted here is here because God has placed us here. It's not an accident that you are here. So I don't want you just to hear about who we are. I want you to get involved in what God is doing here. And like uh, Pastor John already said, the best way to do that is to fill out a Connect card. If you have trouble, head out to the welcome desk. Some people there who would love to say hi and, and help you do that. But like I said, we have been talking about uh, a series about our codes. And we've been talking about this idea of homecoming. In the first week, Pastor Don talked to us about belonging through encountering Jesus. And then last week, Pastor Jared talked to us about being confident in our identity as imitators of Christ. So if you missed any of those, be sure to catch up so you can get the full picture of who we are and what we believe around here uh, on our podcast or our website. But I was thinking about this week, thinking about high school and my high school experience, and really thinking about what are some of the pivotal, important things that happen during school, not just high school, but middle school, elementary school. And there's so many impactful, big things that happen during that season. And one of the things I was thinking about, and I think one of the most important, is that school is the first place where we find a community outside of our family. It's the first place where we begin to be cared for for people who aren't our family, right? Teachers, coaches, best friends. You have people asking you how your day went, how your class went, how things are going at home. And hopefully, this is the first place where we really begin to see what a healthy community for us can look like outside of the home. And to be honest, this is a large part of the reason why I got into student ministry in the first place. Because the reality, many of us know this, I would say all of us know this, that oftentimes those places that are supposed to be safe, safe, 
and comfortable and good can be not so much that sometimes. For a lot of us, school, we had moments of it actually being a place of unsafety and unhealth. And I believe that God has called me to create a community for our students where they can be loved and cared for. And that's what I've tried to do since I've got here. I'm not always perfect at it, but that has been my desire and one that I believe God has placed on me uh, to create that community for our students here at Life Canton. Because Scripture teaches us that even though the church is full of broken and hurting people, just like anywhere else in the world, we are also a place that's supposed to be driven by our love and our care and our concern for everyone in our community and everyone outside of it. So that's that's what we're the goal is. That's what we're striving for, not just in our student ministries, but in every ministry in our church. But I love introducing students to how we care for each other as a church community because we have some some different ways that we care for each other that the rest of the world doesn't practice, right? And some of those practices can be a little uncomfortable for us if we're not used to them, especially for students who are just figuring this thing out. I think a really good example of this is prayer. Prayer tends to be something that makes students uncomfortable as they get used to it. I've never really met a student who, in my first couple of years with them, is like, yes, I would love to pray for the group. I would love to be the one praying for everyone <laughs> in front of the whole room. They're not usually so thrilled about it. Uh, and, and my students are a little bit more unfortunate than most because they, they know I have a habit to make them actually sit in the discomfort. Oftentimes, I'll ask for someone to pray, and then I'll just sit there for way longer than they would like me to. <laughs> but my, my thought behind it is, if this is an important practice... If this practice of connecting to our Heavenly Father and going to Infarnit is important and vital to our faith, then a little bit of discomfort is worth it as they get used to it. Yeah, (laughs) amen. So that's what we're going to talk about today, not just for students, but for our whole community. We're going to talk about prayer. And and I find kind of two, two opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to prayer. I think there's a lot of adults as well as students who are uncomfortable with it, who aren't used to prayer. It's not something that they did growing up or it's just something they learned about. Uh, For me as an adult, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm not super comfortable with praying for meals because it's not something I did growing up. So it takes me a little bit more effort and intentionality to make that practice a part of my day today. So that's kind of one end of the spectrum is just discomfort and just something you're not used to, which is okay. That's normal. But there's another end of the spectrum when it comes to how we think about prayer in the church. Let me ask you this. When someone, is there anyone in this room um, who, when someone says, I'm praying for you, they get a little annoyed, a little frustrated, a little cynical? Yeah, it depends on how they say it, right? (laughs) I find, and and to be completely honest with you, this is kind of where I find myself. I tend to get a little cynical about someone saying, I'm praying for you. And there's, there's a couple reasons for this. One has just been an observation as someone in ministry of seeing people say, I'm going to pray for you, and then knowing through my interactions and my conversations that that's not really something they follow up on. But then there's ways that our culture has handled it inside and outside the church, right? When you go online and you see a tragedy, what's, what's a phrase you often see in the, in the comments? Thoughts and prayers, right? Thoughts and prayers. This little three-word sentence that really doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and it... And I think we even go so far um, as to cheapen it a little bit farther. Uh, sometimes when we want to pray for somebody, what do we send? We send prayer hands, right? <laughs> it's 
So I, I get frustrated um, and I get cynical because it feels like in some ways our culture, the church and outside the church, has made prayer kind of this cheap, um, this cheap thing that doesn't mean as much as it's supposed to. And I was struggling going into this message because this is one of the series where we kind of picked scriptures ahead of time. And I saw what today was and I was like, uh, great, <laughs> going to have to work through this. Because what we're going to read today is one of the prayers of Paul for one of the first century churches. So it's a bit difficult for me to work through, but I want us to go through it together because I think we're going to learn something about the way and the reason that Paul prays for his community. So we're going to be in Colossians today. Colossians 1, go ahead and open your Bibles there if you have one. If not, I'm going to have it on the screen. I'm going to be moving kind of verse by verse, section by section, which I don't always do. It's not my preferred way to do it, uh, but there's so much here. Paul has a lot he's trying to teach his church, so I, we're going to move through it a little bit, uh, a little bit at a time. So let's start with uh, Colossians 1.3, where Paul starts with this. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so right away, we get the phrase that makes some of us a little cynical, a little bit uncomfortable. Paul says, I've been praying for you. And Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. This is a church that actually is, there's a lot happening in the community where outside voices are trying to convince them opposite of some of the things that the apostles taught them. It's one of the reasons why this letter is a, a bit dense, a little bit uh, logical, as Paul's trying to convince them that what they were taught in the first place is true. But as Paul is writing this letter, the first thing he does is he, he prays. He gives thanks to God in prayer for what? What is he giving thanks for? Look at the next verse. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. So this is what Paul notices about this community, that they have faith in Jesus Christ and that they have love for one another. And that is what he is thanking them for. This is a community that's actually caring for each other well, like a church community is supposed to be doing. And, and Paul does what's appropriate when we see God moving in a community. He gives him thanks. He thanks God for all of the care and the love and the faith that's being stirred up in this community, which is coming from what? What is the source of all this faith and this love? Jesus? Okay, don't answer it yet. Hold on. <laughs> Look at the next verse. <laughs> Which comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful Grace. So where does this great love and hope come from? Now you can say it. Jesus, right? The gospel. <laughs> the good news. Paul's painting such a, a powerful picture of the gospel. He's saying that all of this faith and all of this love stems from hearing the gospel. The truth that Jesus was crucified died, was buried, and was resurrected to restore a relationship between God and his creation. The truth that we sang earlier, that death now has no hold over us, that truth has worked its way into the community, has, in, has resulted in love 
in faith and complete trust. Notice how Paul talks about this, though. He kind of talks about two, two parts. First, that they heard it, that they listened with their ears, but then that they comprehended it. And what does he tie this comprehension to? He says that the gospel is producing what? Fruit. Fruit in, in scripture, when it's talking about fruit, it's talking about what we produce. Another way to say it is it's talking about our, our works, what we do. And I think sometimes, well, I, I know <laughs> that we treat Paul as if all he cares about is salvation and grace, and he doesn't really talk about works. But that's a misunderstanding of what Paul believes about the gospel. <laughs> because Paul believes that the gospel can impact someone's life so deeply and so intimately that they live differently because of it. He understands that the production of a different kind of fruit in your life is a direct result and a correct, a correct response to the gospel. He gets that and he's praying in thanksgiving to God for allowing that to be, to, to, to allowing that to occur in this community where the gospel is alive and producing fruit. Here's what else Paul talks about. He talks about the multiplying power of the gospel. You can almost say that Paul believes that the gospel multiplies, right? He talks about all of the things that they have more of because of the gospel. They have more faith. They have more love. They have more trust. They have more good works. They care for each other better. All of these things that the gospel is creating more and more and more of. And he talks about it not just creating fruit and and creating ripples and, and stirring something in their community, but in the community around them. Because the gospel can't be contained. It multiplies. It creates more in us. It grows more faith, hope, faith, and love as it multiplies in the whole world. And where did this start? Where did this come from? What was the, the first seed of this gospel? Where did they receive it from? Look at the next verse. You learned about the good news from Epiphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. Okay. So Paul doesn't even know this church. This isn't actually a church Paul planted. He's never visited this church. He only knows about this church from the person who started it, who is Epiphras. So what's happening here? Well, the gospel is multiplying discipleship. Epiphras was so impacted by the gospel that it grew his joy to the point that the only thing he could do was share it. And when he shared it, what happened? Another community of faith popped up around the gospel. The multiplying power of the gospel. At Life Canton, we believe that the church multiplies. It does this in a lot of ways, in discipleship, in, in faith, in love, in hope, and trust. But we believe that the gospel multiplies and the church is called to grow. We believe that we are called to share, just like Epiphras, this message we have heard and comprehended and is doing things in our lives with those around us. Every conversation that we have in this church about faith is because of the gospel. Every act of love that begins here and goes out into our community begins with the gospel. Every person who comes through our doors and stays and gets engaged with what God is doing is because of the gospel. That's right. Because of the gospel. Everything we do stems from the multiplication of the gospel. 
So as you can kind of see, this, this verse is already pretty, pretty dense. There's a lot that he's saying here. We're only halfway through. <laughs> so before we go any further, I, I was trying to think of what, what is a way to simplify this? What is a way to take all of these really important and convincing uh, statements and true statements that Paul is making and, and kind of uh, distill them into um, something we can understand? We, we have sermon review, and one of my favorite things to do when we're giving each other feedback is I like to take the whole message I just heard and, just, and, and limit myself to one sentence. <laughs> how can I restate everything that's in your sermon to one sentence? So I was trying to think of how to do that with this, and I was really stumped. Uh, then Pastor John gave me a suggestion that goes against everything that I am. And everything that I believe. <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyways. He said, use math. And I was like, oh. oh. <laughs> but he suggested that I use an equation. And listen, I'm bad at math. I'm, I'm terrible at math. It'll probably come up at some point. Like, worse than Pastor Jared being off by $100? Um, I'm, I'm not great <laughs> at math. Uh, but we're going to try it. I'm going to use an equation to try and help us understand the argument that Paul is making all throughout this verse. So, Let's start, let's start the equation. So, so far, we have the gospel, and we have X. We have this idea that the gospel multiplies, and Paul gave us a whole list of all of the different things that the gospel multiplies. Again, hope, faith, trust, discipleship, fruit, all of these things. But Paul's not done, because Paul's also going to talk about the result of this multiplication. What happens when the gospel is encouraged and allowed to grow exponentially? What's the result of that? Look at uh, verses 9 and 10. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. So God, or God, Paul kind of makes a, uh, a movement here, right? He goes from, these are the things that I have been praying for, the things that I, I have prayed would happen in your community, namely the gospel multiplying. And now that that's happened, he's moving on to, here's what I want for you next. Here's what's going to happen as a result of what we prayed for before. So what does he pray for to happen now that they fully comprehend and understand the gospel? Well, he prays that they, that their knowledge would lead to life, or, um, yeah, the knowledge of God's will. So he prays for the knowledge of God's will and for spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay. There's a little bit to unpack there because that's a lot. And, and we might have the temptation as people in a modern Western world to think that Paul is talking about Knowledge about God. But actually, what Paul is talking about is the kind of knowledge about a person that you know so intimately, you know what they want. It's kind of that idea that you finish each other's sentences, which I'm, I'm not going to bring up and do with my wife, because sometimes that backfires and then it's just awkward for everybody. <laughs> but it's this idea of knowing someone so well, you know what they want without asking. It's, it's not book knowledge. It's relational knowledge. This is what his prayer is from, that they would have a relational experience with God. This is the difference between knowing uh, your acquaintance or your friend of a couple years and knowing your father, knowing your mother, knowing your brother or your sister. Knowing them so intimately well that you know their, their desires for what they want out of their lives and what they want out of yours. And, and similarly, it's knowing God so well that you know what he wants for you. 
He knows the kind, you know the kind of life that he wants you to live. And he, he prays additionally that once they have that knowledge of God, that experience of God, that they would respond by living lives that pleased God. This is actually kind of a, a Jewish idea. It's very Jewish. It's this idea that knowledge is not just to have or to gain, especially when it comes to God. The Jewish people didn't believe, don't believe that knowledge of God is just important to have for its own sake. They believe that it's important to have knowledge of God so that you know how to live, so that you, you know how he expects you to live. So Paul's almost talking about this, this really cool cycle of get to know God, live a life that pleases God, which will help you know God better, which will help you, you, you kind of get the picture. He, he's, ex, he's praying for what? An encounter, an experience, a deeply relational and transformational and life-changing experience with God. That's the kind of knowledge he's praying for. All built on their knowledge and their understanding of the gospel. That's what Paul is praying next for them. I was trying to think of a, like a modern example to help us understand why Paul's kind of praying this way, why he puts the gospel before everything else. And I, I was thinking about this. If, if you could only share one thing with someone about God, someone who had never heard about God, what would you share? Would you talk about creation? Would you talk about the fall in the garden? Would you talk about God choosing Israel? Would you talk about uh, miracles like God stopping the sun or knocking down walls with the sound of a trumpet? Probably not. You'd probably share the gospel. You'd probably talk about Jesus. Because I think we all understand that the gospel is the foundation. If you don't have that, it's very difficult to understand Scripture or to understand God. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying that it was first important that you understand and respond to the gospel. And now that you have that, now your experience of God and your knowledge of him and your wisdom and your understanding, all of that can grow because you have the gospel. The gospel continues to multiply. The gospel is the motivator for our understanding of God, our encounter of God, our experience with God, and living lives that please him. But Paul isn't done. He's got, he's got one more thing. Now, now he's going to get to the results. Now he's going to get to uh, what, what we receive in exchange for understanding the gospel and getting to know God better. Look at the last couple uh, verses. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and the patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Okay. This is the hardest one of all, I think. The hardest prayer that Paul gives them, lets them know about. That they would endure joyfully. <laughs> On one hand, he's telling them, listen, it, it's it's amazing, it's important, it's incredible, it's powerful that you have the gospel, but that's not going to make your life easier. In fact, it might make your life more difficult. Spreading that truth might have a cost. But his prayer is that they would bear that cross. I meant to say cost, but that they would bear that cross. <laughs> also appropriate. Joyfully. Being able to give thanks to God. And how do they do that? Well, Paul outlines something for them. He kind of outlines a new 
kind of life that they get to experience now that they understand and have heard the gospel and their knowledge and experience of him will grow. He unpacks what it looks like to live life according to the truth of the gospel in relationship with God. And he unpacks all of these wonderful, amazing things about this new life that the gospel creates. He talks about them belonging to God, about God being their father, about rescuing them, about taking them from light, from dark to light, about how they've been adopted and how they have inherited eternal life, abundant eternal life with their father. These are all of the things that we experience when we believe, when we comprehend and understand the truth of the gospel. We're no longer orphans, but adopted. We no longer live in the dark, but we live in the light. We no longer have a life of scarcity, but a life of abundance. We have a new kind of life as a result of the gospel working in our lives. And that's what we do here at LifeCan. We celebrate new life. Earlier I said we believe that the church multiplies, that it's our, our responsibility to grow the church, but that's not a numbers game. We don't want more butts in seats. We want more people encountering and experiencing new life. We got to giggle out of somebody. We want more people experiencing new life. This is our desire. The more people we have in this room, the more people who are getting exposed to the gospel, the more people are stepping into the new life, the abundant life that God has for them. Amen. That is our desire. That is what drives us, not just in my student ministry, but in our whole church. We deeply want that for each and every one of you, to experience new life. I'm going to go back to that equation. We're almost done, but we got some, we got some things to, to plug in. Okay, so we have the gospel. We have X gospel multiplies and results in new life. This is kind of what Paul has been building throughout the whole verse. But what's it time to do? It's time to show our work, right? Time to, time to solve for X. I'm going to stop here because, again, I'm bad at math. So all I'm going to ask is what, what has X been? What has been the thread that has driven everything that Paul has argued for in this whole verse? What has he been doing? Somebody tell me. What was that? Prayer. prayer. X is prayer. Paul's prayers have multiplied the hope and the faith and the love, and the good fruit, and their experience, and their relationship with God that has all been pushed by, driven by Paul's prayers. Think about what he's been saying all throughout this verse. We have prayed for you. We continue to pray for you. We will never stop praying for you. Prayer multiplies the gospel and results not just in new life, but abundant new life. New life that wells up and overflows into the community. New life that results in more people coming to see what it's about and getting to experience it in return. And that's all driven by prayer. We have prayed. We will continue to pray. We will never stop praying. And this is hard for me. Um, I can get stuck. I think like many of us, I can get stuck in my situation. I can get so focused on problem solving and having solutions and, and knowing what, what am I supposed to do next that I can forget that prayer is not weak. Prayer is powerful. Pa- prayer can change a whole community, a whole culture, a whole world. Amen. Prayer is something we have access to as God's beloved, as his chosen, as his children. 
when I was, uh, when I was younger, I had a very ritualistic view of prayer. I, I grew up uh, learning the Lord's Prayer. I actually have a tattoo that has the Lord's Prayer in it the right way. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but when I grew up, it was, a, it was a very ritualistic understanding. What I would actually do until, until I was a teenager, maybe in college, um, I would pray the Lord's Prayer, and then I would just like modify the end a little bit. I'd say the whole prayer, and then the last line, I'd be like, and also, like, you know, pray that mom gets the right cereal this week at the grocery store. <laughs> That's kind of how I would do it. It was just a very ritualistic, and that brought me comfort, but I also realized as I got older, like, I don't know if I actually believe that this is doing a lot, that has a lot of power. But I also remember the first time that I experienced prayer through the power of the Holy Spirit, because that's something else that Paul talks about all throughout this verse, is that how we feel the power of prayer, how we encounter it is through the guidance and the prompting of the Holy Spirit, right? So I remember uh, I was in college. I was at a point in my life where I had bills to pay. I I had a car that was falling apart that I had to every day fix a part on somehow. Uh, I had relationships that I really had burnt to the ground, uh, and I was just running ragged. I was working an internship, I was working uh, another job, and then I was going to school. And I was exhausted, and I was overwhelmed, and I, I just got to the point where the prayer, prayer wasn't cutting it anymore. Um, my whole ritualistic understanding of prayer, a prayer that was very give and take, that was very uh, kind of fill in the blank, it just it didn't work anymore. And I remember being in a car ride, and I, and I don't, I'm stubborn, so God, God doesn't often uh, talk to me in voices, because I don't listen real good. But <laughs> that was... The first time I encountered God actually speaking to me, I remember praying and, and just asking God and crying and saying, I don't, I don't know what to do. What do you want me to do? I can't do this. And I remember a voice um, that I now understand was the Holy Spirit just saying, peace, peace. I want you to experience peace. And it changed my mind and my attitude and my feelings and my emotions in that moment in a way that I had never experienced in a way that as good as the Lord's prayers is, it hadn't changed my heart in the way that it did in that moment. I think those are stories that many of us have had that we need to remember, that we've gotten so tired and beaten down by life and so overwhelmed that it's easy to forget, but we need to remember. But I also know that there are some of you in this room who just heard that story and didn't know. You didn't know the power of prayer. You didn't know it, that it could change your life. You didn't know that it could produce a different kind of life. You didn't know that it could shape a community. It could start revolutions. It can break chains. You didn't know any of it, and that's okay, but I want you to know that today. I want you to, to understand how powerful prayer is and how much of prayer is rooted in our understanding and our comprehension of the gospel. So here's what I want us to do today. It's, it's a little funny because uh, last time I was up here, I told you I wanted you all to pray like Jesus. Uh, today, I want you to pray like Paul. We're just going to keep learning how to pray differently. Today, I want you to pray like Paul. So first, I want you to be saturated with the gospel. You need to understand the gospel because if you don't understand the gospel, you won't experience God fully, completely, in, in a way that is loving and trusting independent on him. So know the gospel. Read it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Read it again. Meditate on it again. But, but let it change you from the inside out. Not with just reading, but with praying, with spending time with the Holy Spirit, with, with talking about it with others. Let the gospel become something that impacts you deeply and personally and intimately. 
and let your life bear fruit. One of the things that stands out to me about Paul is, is Paul was praying for them, yes, but he wasn't just praying. He was also planting churches. He was also giving sermons. He was also teaching others about their spiritual gifts. He was also supporting communities and caring for them. So he was praying, but his praying produced fruit. So I would ask that this week as you pray for someone, take that seriously because it matters. Take it seriously because it can have such a huge, profound impact, not just on your life, but on the lives of others, and stick to it. If you pray for somebody, if you say you're going to pray for somebody, pray for somebody, but also if you pray for somebody, ask God how you can be a part of that prayer. How can you be his hands and feet? How can you help that prayer to come to life? Know the gospel. Let your prayer, your new life bear fruit. And lastly, I want you to pray earnestly. Earnestly. I want you to pray for people specifically. I want you to pray for their situations. I want you to pray with an understanding of what is happening in their lives and with a deep concern that the gospel would enter into that situation and bear fruit in their lives. So usually what we do is I'll stand up here uh, and, and I'll pray for all of you. Uh, I'm going to challenge us a little bit today and I, I want you to pray. So what I'm going to have you do for the next couple of minutes, and I'm going to step off stage in a second, and, and I want this room to be full of voices lift up in prayer, but I want you to specifically to pull out your phone, find the last person you texted, whoever that is, and I want you to pray for them. Specifically, intimately, powerfully. Pray that their, their situation would experience the comfort and the peace of God. Pray that the gospel would begin to change them from the inside out. Pray that they would see just a glimpse, if not the full experience of new life in Christ and what that looks like. Can we do that together? Yes. Are you all ready to pray? Okay, let's take a couple minutes and let's pray out loud together. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that message. Um, I hope you felt the call to prayer and the reminder of how powerful prayer can be and for us to take it seriously. So I would encourage you, uh, just like I challenged uh, our congregation who was with us on Sunday, to actually take a moment to pray for the last person you texted, uh, to pray a specific prayer, and then maybe even to send them that prayer. Uh, take some time to do that today. But I hope that you have a blessed week. I want to remind you that if you have anything going on that you need support for, whether that's uh, support of prayer, emotional support, anything at all, please, please reach out. You can do that via Connect Card on our website or on our Church Center app. But we want to support you and encourage you in, in whatever season you're in. So be sure to do that. But uh, have a blessed week, and I will catch up with you real soon.